Welcome to another episode of Good Morning Camera, the first episode of this month. Listen, you know we like to keep it real with you. If there isn't much to talk about, we're not going to clog up your podcast feed. We're not going to give you stuff that gives you anxiety there to listen to this episode. And that No, 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 no. We're going to wait until there's actually news to talk about. And Anthony, Anthony, on this episode, we got quite a bit to talk about. We got quite we, a bit to talk about. Are you excited? We, we got a few goodies, that's for sure. Super pumped. I've been holding on to this creator draft pick uh, since the holidays here, and uh, it's going to happen, man. Today's the day. You guys uh, sh- stay tuned for sure. All right. All right. So we're going to be talking about the new Panasonic GH6, but first we're going to talk about Sigma lenses for the Fujifilm X-Mount. Now, there was a lot mm-hmm. of rumors about this you know, in the, in the previous year. We mentioned it on the show previously, but it is now official. It is official. There are now Sigma lenses that are going to be available for the Fujifilm X-Mount. Anthony, what, what, what does this mean? What do we have here? Yeah, so this is actually a pretty exciting announcement, I think, for the Fuji shooters. We got a 16mm, a 30mm, and a 56mm, and all of these are an aperture uh, of f1.4. So uh, I think this is a welcomed announcement. What, what are your initial thoughts? So, yeah, with this... Uh, lens collection on the Fujifilm X-Mount, you essentially have roughly a 24mm equivalent, uh, a 45mm equivalent, and about an 85mm equivalent. What immediately stood out to me is that these don't look like the traditional Fujifilm lenses. Mm -hmm. They don't look like a lens that kind of complements the Fujifilm bodies, (laughs) aesthetically speaking. That's my first impression. And I I I don't say that as a knock. I don't say that as a slight. It just seems unconventional as someone that has shot, you know, with Fujifilm for many years. Mm -hmm. I'm more curious to hear your perspective um, as someone that shoots with Fuji as well. And, you know, you're kind of using it for both photo, for video, and you're mixing around and you've had experience with Sigma lenses. So when, when you see this as a consumer, what gets you most excited or is there some other feeling that you're feeling? So I am with you uh, in like the look of this, of these lenses, they don't necessarily fit, but being somebody who, you know, has worked uh, on our sales floor in the, in the camera stores, right? Like people want this. Uh, And I think it's a nice announcement because for quite some time in the store, we've always been hyping up these lenses for the Sony APS-C cameras uh, and especially the Canon M50. I think if you own a Canon M50 and you don't have one of these lenses, you're doing something wrong. So you need to grab uh, one of these if you're in that M mount uh, lineup. So people have been asking for this for a really long time and I've heard this uh, because the value of these lenses is actually so phenomenal for what you get the quality of glass and and to have an aperture of f1.4 um, in these lenses, I think this is is great. But I definitely understand uh, where you're coming from because these don't look as nice as as the those Fuji lenses when you attach that to a Fuji Fuji body. So I get it. Yeah, and you know I I, I got to be careful here because I think overall this is a great thing for Fujifilm users. Mm -hmm. I think this is great for the ecosystem. I think that the Fujifilm X-Mount, it lacked a lot of competition. So while it's great that Fujifilm has a huge suite of lenses and and, varying prices, you need competition. You need to have third parties in here in the mix and offering alternatives as well. So they don't all look the same and feel the same or even perform the same. You know, looking at these prices, I think that's what has me most excited is that 
you know, Sigma didn't come to this space and say, you know what, we're going to make the best, you know, 16 millimeter or 30 millimeter or 56 millimeter. You know, mm-hmm. that, oh, sorry, I, I got to be careful here. We are going to play with them. We're going to check out the optimum <laughs> quality. But looking at the pricing and then looking at these products, you would assume that they are not going to be the best optically performing lenses for this mount. Mm-hmm. And I admire them for going this route where it's, let's make something that's affordable. Let's make something that's affordable where you can yeah. get in a 56 millimeter 1.4 for roughly 600 bucks Canadian, somewhere around there. Um, mm-hmm. A 30 millimeter 1.4, around 450 bucks. Uh, same for the 16 1.4. Again, when you're looking at these aperture ratings and you're looking at these focal lengths, these popular focal lengths and an aperture of 1.4, Throughout that, folk, uh, throughout that, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say throughout because they're not zooms, but in that range, it's it's great. I think this is a smart move for them, and I think it's one of these things when you look at people that are just getting started, that are moving over from a mold device, that are getting their first Fujifilm camera, or maybe they have mm-hmm. a DSLR, right, and and they're upgrading to a mirrorless solution, and they hear so much about Fuji. The fact that these are now options on the table. The fact that you can now go and get one of these things and it's a lot more affordable so that, you know what, you can get those beautiful portraits. You can get those beautiful family shots. You can really throw out the background and get nicer fall off if you wanted to without breaking the bank. I think that's the most interesting thing. And, you know, I want to reserve a lot of my judgment until, you know, Sigma, they send us these lenses so that we can play with and actually see how they perform, especially in comparison to the Fuji counterparts. But right now... Looking at the Sigma reputation, having played, you know, it's funny, with some Sigma lenses on Sunday, this this past weekend, I'm overall optimistic about these solutions. So let me throw it back to you. Who do you think is going to get the most value out of products like this? I think I think these are actually going to be a very competitive option compared to Fuji's F2 lenses. And I own the 23 millimeter F2, right? And it's not sharp at f2 and sometimes like i want more than just 2.8 right so like i could totally see uh the 30 millimeter being uh, a really good lens to to get uh, and you know fuji has the uh the 50 millimeter f2 as well uh so the 56 millimeter f 1.4 that's gonna be can, can, can i jump can i jump in can i, can I yeah. jump in i mean <laughs> go <laughs> just really quickly that 30 millimeter 1.4 is about 40 50 bucks cheaper again we're still waiting yeah. on official pricing and availability but 40 50 bucks cheaper than fujifilm's 35 millimeter f2 they're, yeah. they're sort of cron weather resistant version now granted this doesn't have weather sealing but you know if you're just looking at the offering here it comes in cheaper than fuji's non-premium lineup of lenses wild yeah, 100%. And that's exactly it. Uh, you know, I think if you're looking at those F2 lenses, then you have to at least consider this just because I, I've i played with these lenses a lot. And at F1.4, they're, they're actually quite good. So I think it's uh, this is where the competition is. It, though, at those F2 lenses, uh, yeah, we got to be looking at those for sure. Yeah, you know, when I look at this and I'm thinking about, you know, who's going to get the most value um, you know, I, I go back to sort of my belief with these things is that your technical ability, your understanding with light, that matters way more than which specific lens you have. And a pro will definitely mm-hmm. be able to get more out of a certain product than another. And that is to say that 
you know, a lens like this and, you know, in this product category that Sigma has, you know, tested and pr produced on other mounts and stuff like that, they are good lenses that in that mm. with the right application, with the right techniques, you can get some beautiful, beautiful results that most people cannot tell the difference of whether it was shot on a lens like this or a super premium version or alternative. And so genuinely, I'm excited for those that are going to be new to the Fujifilm X-Mount and especially those that are younger creators that, you know, they see a lot of the imagery on Instagram or, or they look at an opportunity in creating their own YouTube channel, whatever it may be, that they have a solution here now that comes in, you know, a lot more affordable than some existing options, not just premium, but even the more enthusiast options. And it, it really kind of incentivizes people to kind of get into the space. You know what I mean? Where 100%. I don't, I don't know, Anthony, if you've ever felt this, but sometimes you'll look at a certain product category or may, before you make that sort of leap, right, from like mobile phone to camera or DSLR to mirrorless or mm -hmm. APS-C to full frame. When You know, you always do the mental math of like, all right, how much is this actually going to cost me? How am I, how how I going to fund all of this? Well, you know, well under a thousand bucks now, you can get a Fujifilm body and a 1.4 lens. That's and, exactly and that's, that's the exciting part. That's the exciting part is that whether it's a street photographer or whether it's a portrait photographer because they came out and they just announced three great lenses or whether you are a YouTuber, you have three options now that you can get in at a very affordable price for the entire kit and start creating. And I think that's, that's probably the most important takeaway, right? hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. For those new people who aren't going to want to be spending like an arm and a leg, but have like the aspiration to get, for example, like Fuji's uh, 56 millimeter F 1.2. I own that lens as well. And that's a phenomenal lens, but pretty pricey, right? So like, <laughs> like I said, the value for these lenses is going to be top notch. Uh, and I think people definitely have to consider uh, what Sigma is bringing to the table for f the Fuji lineup for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just to sort of wrap this up, when you're looking at these Sigma lenses, you know, again, probably not going to be the sharpest when they're wide open. But when you stop them down to F anything north of F4 to F8, you're going to get sharp results. You know, if you're shooting wide open into super high contrast environments or maybe the sun is behind someone or behind branches or things like that, you might get that chromatic aberration. So it really comes back to understanding the limitations of this lens. But Overall, mm -hmm. I think people are going to get great results, impressive results, and I think it's exciting for the space. Enough about that. Enough of this free advertising for Sigma and <laughs> Fujifilm. We got to talk about a new camera that was announced a few days ago. Okay, a powerhouse yeah. camera here, and it is the Lumix GH6 from Panasonic. So we went hands-on with this. They were kind enough. Uh, Panasonic's great to us. They, they send us their cameras in advance. We get to go hands-on with them. We produce... Uh, a couple of ad spots and some beauty shots, and we and we test them. We also I also take them on productions that I'm doing and test them to see you know how they perform. Mm -hmm. And this is a powerhouse. So Anthony, can you give us a quick rundown of the key features of this camera and what it can do? For sure. The uh, I mean. Just to get this right out of the way, uh, <laughs> the autofocus on this camera is still that contrast detection, but it does seem different. Now, Panasonic, they did say that they added some sort of like mystical magic that said that they that you will notice a little bit of a an improvement, but I think this is actually 
this might be a big improvement. I don't know. Maybe you uh, had different thoughts on that. But uh, in terms of the autofocus, it's still contrast detection, but it does look different and actually quite good. Uh, let's go down to the specs here. Uh, I think the video specs are, are really like the, what kind of takes the cake with this camera. We have 5.8K up to 30P, 5.7K uh, up to 60P. We have 4.4K up to 60P in open gate. So you're meaning you're using that whole sensor you're gonna get really good we, we gotta we gotta slow that down we gotta slow that you know what i mean because i i want to talk about that open gate I, that got me excited yeah. okay that got me excited because they didn't even tell me about this in the briefing okay yeah. they didn't tell me about this anthony in the briefing and uh <laughs> i'm not saying i'm upset at them but i had to find this out on my own but basically what this is doing is that your sensor on your camera is a three by two aspect ratio and traditionally cameras they'll record a strip of your sensor, you know, 16 by nine or 17 mm -hmm. by nine. So they're cutting off a good amount of pixels on your sensor. This is how most cameras work, you know, outside of cinema cameras. What these people at Panasonic have done, <laughs> and I, I sound angry, I'm actually excited. What these people have done is said, you know what? We're gonna give you the ability to record the entire sensor so that when you, <laughs> Mr. or Mrs. Editor or Miss Editor or whatever you go by, Dr. Editor, <laughs> when you <laughs> take this footage, you can then decide whether you want more of the top, more of the bottom, whether you want to do vertical, you now have more vertical resolution to play with. This, this is the stuff where, you know, Panasonic does not get enough credit. They do these things 100%. that are with the intention of working professionals, but make them available to enthusiasts and independent yeah. creators. So again, I'm sorry to take away, I know you're going down your list. I'm sorry, that, that, <laughs> that one thing is like, okay. They seem to do this one thing with every release. We're like, man, what a smart and savvy move. But and that's not it, better. That's not that's, it. Go, sorry. That's not sorry. it. <laughs> I'm not, I got, I'm about to get to my good, my most key takeaways, but let's finish, go up. Uh, we got HD up to 240 uh, frames per second and 30p in what is called VR mode. Or sorry, 300p, not 30p, 300p in VR mode. Uh, but this is, this is the most key takeaways for me, okay? They threw in. Apple ProRes in terms of a video codec. I'm like, what? I was just like, I saw this. I was just like, oh my gosh. And this is going to make a lot more sense when uh, we get to the creator draft pick because I, I got this creator draft pick and I'm like, is this even necessary for this camera? I don't know. But Apple ProRes is in here. And I was just like, that is so hype for, again, right, talking that video. Right let me pause you right there. Let me pause <laughs> you right there. Because I feel like I'm the ambassador. I'm a diplomat. I'm basically translating what you just said for a bulk of our listeners that don't know or can't relate that. Basically, what they've done is they've given you a recording format that for most editing programs, especially Apple iPads, iPhones, Final Cut on the Mac, iMovie on the Mac, is less processor intensive. Meaning that when you record these super high resolution files, these long clips, it is less intense on your CPU, on your GPU. And that is something that typically, you know, what you would do is you'd shoot a video clip, it comes in a format that's H.264 or H.265. And what it involves is your processor sort of unpacking that file while you work on it. This can really slow down your machine. Having ProRes built in essentially means that Apple 
and Panasonic have an agreement. There, I'm, maybe there's an exchange of money of some kind, but they've said, we're going to let you record in this format so you don't mm-hmm. have to go back to your machine and transcode files. It saves you time as an editor. And I think it, and- whether you are looking at it or you have a family member in this space, this is something that's appreciative because of the time saved. 100%. I edit on an older MacBook Pro, uh, and I can't edit 4K H.265 files at all. Like, there, it's it's like, it's such a pain. So you got to create proxies and all this stuff and all these workarounds to, to get it. But in the high-end Airy cameras, you can record in Apple ProRes. Uh, so this is a feature that they've taken from high-end video cameras and brought it down to this uh, lineup. But let's move on because there's other things that I was noticing. Uh, they actually changed the skin tones and like the way that they're pulling their skin tones out of this camera. Uh, previously, uh, Panasonic cameras were a little bit more magenta uh, and they've completely changed the the look i think um it looks they essentially remove that magenta hue altogether and the footage looks really really nice they also added an audio button on the top of this camera which is really key i kind of i love this feature because you could quickly just press that audio button and you're gonna see your levels pop up on screen and the the levels are quite large so like you know if you're clipped on the the audio. And then the last feature here, Gadget, this is key, uh, the dynamic range boost mode. I think this is pretty awesome because uh, it gives you 13 plus stops of dynamic range and the footage does look really good. Like I was I was impressed, it, it looks cinematic. The one downside to this mode uh, is that it takes the ISO up to uh, 2000. So that's your minimum ISO in the dynamic uh, range uh, boost mode uh, and that is a little high and keep in mind like this is a micro four thirds camera so low light mm, that maybe it's not going to be the best on this particular camera because the sensor is so small but I still love the fact that they included this feature and then actually this is the last thing and I don't know if you saw this or heard about this but you can tell me they've already said in a future firmware update that the USB-C port is going to be able to record to an external SSD. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> that, that, is, that just takes the cake right there. I think this is such a banger camera, but what, what are your thoughts? That's, that's a lot to digest. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we, we got to go hands-on with this thing. I got to play around with it. I appreciate the design elements. I appreciate having that front record button on this thing. It feels rugged. It feels well-made. It feels like a camera that isn't, so plasticky that if it falls off a moving car that there's a good chance it'll survive. I look at a camera like this and you know I'm thinking about the independent filmmaker, the up-and-coming filmmaker, um, the people that are working in production studios that need smaller solutions, more affordable solutions that can work with their existing workflow, that can fit inside of a car, that can be put on a helmet. You know, it's someone, you know, there's also, you know, this camera, right? It's about half the price of a Sony a7S III. You're paying half the price. Exactly. And you're getting about half the size of a sensor. So there is a big concession there made. But in terms of usability features, this feels more feature rich, you mm-hmm. know, than an FX3, than an a7S III. And you will have to change how you record because it is not a full frame. But, you know, with speed boosters and manual focusing, a lot of these things that are more common in the cinema world, this might not feel like a concession like it would be to 
to I hate to, I hate to say it to YouTubers, right? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I feel like a camera like this is not made for the YouTube community where they just immediately will go to the sensor and to the price and they're like, why would you do this when you can just get this? Yeah, but here, what they've packed in is something that will make people that are using micro four thirds mounts in their existing solutions really, really happy. And the fact that this ecosystem still exists, I think this also provides a unique opportunity for those people that are looking to try to build out an entire kit a filmmaking kit under three or four thousand dollars, which 100%. is very, very challenging because you're not looking at a body and a lens. You're looking at body, lens, memory, uh, rig, cages, mounting points, all these things. They all add up. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone and you have about, let's say, four or five thousand dollars, let's say OSAP blessed you with the four or five thousand dollar check <laughs> uh, and you're uh, you're looking to make your next great feature film. This is something where you can get a, a, a brand new camera with, you know, state-of-the-art features. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the color science because we were testing against, you know, melanin-rich skin. And it was nice to see how this has worked in our, in our field test. Um, you can get something that's modern, right? Mm -hmm. you can get something that's modern and build out a kit and come in under budget. The focusing, yeah. I felt like it was better than previous Panasonic solutions. I was surprised by it. There were times in high contrast situations where it did a little bit of hunting, but I was genuinely surprised. I'm like, okay, like as I'm moving this camera handheld, like this is tracking it. It's 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 pretty good at predicting, and you could fine tune it quite a bit. It takes a bit of yeah. effort so that it reacts and behaves as you would want to as a filmmaker. But I got to be honest, this is not really for the autofocus crowd. This is a camera for again people that are comfortable with manual focus or have a focus puller that are creating storyboarded shots and looking to really carve out, you know, visually what it looks like by hand. So, yeah, I get that, you know, the the, the sort of marketing machine on YouTube and, and blogs, they, not, they might not be as fond of a product like this. I think this is a fantastic solution that will appease those that don't necessarily go to YouTube <laughs> when they're looking at a solution. For those that are looking for something that's in their existing workflow, for those that are looking to build an entire kit in a finite budget, I think there's a lot to look forward to in, in a Panasonic GH6. 100%. And if I could take the opposite side of that, I would definitely argue that uh, this is a camera that could be super usable for YouTube and that type of filmmaker because the when I tested the S1H, the box around your face, it would find your face but not actually focus on there. And when we saw examples online and such, uh, and I actually saw a YouTuber, uh, Matty Apoya over, he's in Toronto, and uh, he picked up this camera. And when I see a YouTuber like that who is essentially a vlogger using this camera, I'm like, oh, okay, if if this is working in, in his style of shooting, I think this is an interesting choice uh, for that type of filmmaker. And he was using the 8 to 18 millimeter f2 to f4, uh, and that's not an expensive lens for, for what it is, and it's a small lens. So if you're a vlogger, if you're a YouTuber, I, would, I think this is a pretty viable option. Yeah, I, I mean, let, let's not go on too long about this, but you know, if I'm being completely platform agnostic, you know, as much as I love what Fujifilm does, if you are, if you don't care for photography, and you are 
again, looking at filmmaking, if you're looking at documentary mm. work, you're looking at really, especially being in the field, I would personally argue that there's a lot more to look forward to in a camera like this than a Fuji counterpart and maybe yeah. even a Sony counterpart. It really comes back to the sort of usability of it. But they 100%. pack so much into this that it's something that's worth considering. It should be on the short list. If you're looking for a modern solution that is, you know, again, you can, you're looking to build an entire filming kit under that $4,000 price range. Anyway... Enough of the free advertising for Lumix GH6, as, as, as useful as this camera is. They're um, the underdogs. We got to help them, them out in this oh, YouTube man. creating world. Oh, I'm telling you, man. I mean, they make great stuff. They we, do. We're moving on to our favorite part of the show. The favorite of Good Morning Camera. And this that is what is I've been waiting creator for. Creator draft picks. You've been waiting. You've been messaging me. You've been telling. Okay, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So I, I relegate the floor to you, sir. What is your creator draft pick this week? Okay. Uh, this is actually, I think this is the most essential video tool that you could own in 2022. Uh, over the holidays, I borrowed the Ninja V for quite a bit of time. Uh, and it really gave me the opportunity to learn like all the features and like how to actually record video to the SSD uh, drive that you have on the Ninja V. And I'm shooting these like fat 4K 60p uh, 400 megabits per second video on an SSD card. And without that Apple ProRes, we were just talking about this. Like, this is why this is the perfect, uh, <laughs> this is the perfect draft pick for this episode. We just discussed about the how key that ProRes is, and what I learned after using the Ninja V is that I will never shoot another 4K H.265 file to the SSD card ever again. Uh, <laughs> so, literally, the day I had to send back the Ninja V. I ordered myself the Ninja V Plus, and this Whoa. thing, Whoa. <laughs> this thing, oh my gosh, man, like Gadget, you're grabbing one of these in 2022, I can guarantee you this, we've talked about the, these, all these cameras coming out with uh, like 6K and 8K, on the Ninja V Plus, you can record 4K, 120p, and up to 8K in 30p in ProRes, and then if you have the right camera, you can do AK ProRes RAW to the SSD drive. Oh my gosh, this thing is absolutely insane. Uh, and like I said, perfect uh, complement to that GH6 announcement. Uh, and this is gonna carry you no matter what camera you go to in 2022, uh, because that editing process is just so much better on the ProRes, and then recording to the SSD drive has been absolutely key. I grabbed the Angelbird uh, 500 gig SSD card, and on the 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 Fuji X-T4, I'm recording at like the highest quality possible, which looks phenomenal. And then I get I can still get like two over two hours of recording on that one drive. So this has been so essential. I actually made a video on my own YouTube channel, uh, and I'm gonna pull it up here so I can give you the title. Uh, the YouTube channel is just Anthony Jackson, and uh, the video is called "Why You Need the Ninja V Plus in 2022." Yes, that is the title. Okay, so if you search that up into YouTube, you'll find that video absolutely key. And this is the most essential video tool in 2022. I'm literally pulling up this video right now. 
in 2022. This yeah. is happening live, folks. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Why you this need so it doesn't bleed the audio. Okay. Why you need the Atomos Ninja V Plus in 2022, Gadget? You're getting this. I guarantee you. Once you why, why like... are you coming here costing me money? Why you Why are you doing this to me? You know I you, you know I got a couple of kids here, a family. Or why, what are you doing? <laughs> we We were talking about this in the last episode too, um, about how well, those cameras that we're like most excited for uh, in 2022. And this is what I'm saying. Like, if you grab this monitor slash recorder right now, no matter what camera you go to, you're covered right? Like AK up to 30p. That's, that's crazy. This is a future proofing product right here. Uh, and it's Amazing. been so key. Amazing. I'm glad you mentioned that because now my pick is much more affordable. Okay. <laughs> it comes in much more affordable than that. And it is the Pelican 1535 Trek pack version, not just the 1535. They got a, they got an interesting naming uh, structure here. Okay. I, I don't know what you're doing Pelican marketing, but it's the Pelican <laughs> 1535 TP Trek pack air carry something, something, something. I have been wanting to get this for a long time. Anthony, let me tell you, it's not the most expensive thing. Like I could have just bought it two years ago. Okay. <laughs> I could have just bought it, but for some reason, as many creators do, we just linger on some of these purchases. We have no problem spending thousands of dollars on a camera lens. But when it comes to a couple <laughs> hundred bucks, we're like, eh, I don't know. Do I need it? No. I regret not getting this sooner. What this thing is, we've been needing a solution to actually pack all the video gear we take on productions and especially the Henry stuff. Like, it, it is challenging at times to sort of like, you know, stuff it into bags and find, you know, different cases and backpacks. <laughs> I needed something where I can build out a solution where we can put all our equipment into one carry-on sized case, but also I wanted to customize it where I could put in a power bar and put in battery chargers into this case and then have one cable that comes out of this case so that when I go to set, I can open this case, plug it in the wall, and every battery related to that video kit is now charged. So this what? past Sunday, when we were recording, we were on a production, uh, a Henry's production, and we rolled up, and I got the red Komodo. That's our A-cam for these beauty shots. And I was testing the GH6 alongside the Komodo so we could see how the footage plays and all this kind of stuff. In this suitcase, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see a screenshot. I should probably upload another screenshot so people that do check. I have my Komodo, I have my lenses, I have the batteries both for the Komodo and NP batteries for our monitor. I have all the cabling. I have a micro V-mount charger with V-mount batteries, an NP charger. All of this attached into a power bar, hidden underneath, and one cable going out. This has changed how I work. And this is the best kind of things you want to invest in, right? It's not the flashiest, it's not the most glitziest thing to buy, but because of this case, you get something that you can build yourself. What does the Trek pack mean? It means that when it box comes to you, you have foam layering, but the actual dividers, it comes with a specialty tool that's very easy that you cut the dividers based on how you want it. So I was sitting here, you know, on, I think it was Friday night, just, you know, placing my kit, doing some measurements, 
and then building this divider system that is perfect for me. That means I have things that are wide enough for my camera lenses. I have things that are a little bit wider to account for two V-mount batteries. And I even have some smaller ones, which are like the size of a, a deck of playing cards that I can fit cables and antennas in. One that's perfectly suited for my monitor, for my batteries. I'm telling you, if you work in production, whether you're a photographer or a video maker, if, if produ production is part of your workflow where you're constantly going places and shooting and creating content, you have to take a heavy look at the Pelican 1535 TP, not the regular one, the TP where you can build out your own divider system. I, I've spoken at length about this. You got to get this thing. You got to get this thing. <laughs> you know, it, it, we talk about cameras all the time, but it's the bags that can really just change your life. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. When I when I bought the Thinkport uh, Airport rolling bag, I was just like, oh, man. It's, it's, a, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a game hey, changer. Hey, so these one are... of my creator draft picks last year. I feel like once a year I'm going to do <laughs> a, a, a bag recommendation that is carry-on friendly meant for gear. I just feel like that's my, my new role. That's my new role as co-host of this show. Uh, and, listen, and thank you all for listening. <laughs> Sorry, Anthony, I yeah. cut you off live there. You got so excited. Sorry. Finish and Gadget, your thought. And Gadget, uh, we want to see that video, GH6 versus Red Komodo. You got both the cameras. Oh, so let's see. Oh, let's see it. Oh, I want to see it. I'm going to tell you that video is not, not happening. Uh, I mean, you're not seeing that video. We're not going there. We're not going there. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can always subscribe to the show on your podcast catcher of choice. And if you are listening on iTunes, please do rate and review the show. It helps people discover the show. And of course, share this show with your camera nerds and aficionados because we love to hear back from our community on what you want to see in future episodes. As always, my name is Gadget. His name's Anthony. And we'll see you next time. See ya.